1: Keep your ride or die alive at eBayMotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Can you oh, and yes! it And it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown.
0: He chore inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy
2: Graham brings
0: it down, and that is a touchdown. New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice. To the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season.
3: That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. T-T-T-Taysom TD.
0: Welcome to Inside Black and Gold.
1: And that is going to be a touchdown again.
0: And guess who? Mike. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Keller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Yes, indeed. Hudab Nation, welcome inside black and gold, the final week of the regular season. And we are still talking about that chance to make the playoffs. The Dirty Birds come in to the Saints' house Sunday, high noon. It'll be a kickoff in the Caesar Superdome. Jeff and I will be there bright and early for first take, uh, getting ready for. A kickoff against a team that no Saints fan likes and should be at least an entertaining, uh, rowdy matchup I'm hoping for uh, in the finale, along with some decent football mixed in. We're going to talk a little about Mickey Loomis. Uh, We got to chat with him on the Saints Hour, uh, filling in for the voice of the Saints, Mike Haas, some interesting things he had to say. Also, a little bit of news for the black and gold. We have a pro bowler on the squad.
4: Da-da-da-da-da. yes you know what play, that is baby. it's the final countdown baby yeah you know hopefully there is another week but we'll we, we've already talked about that we talked about that to death if you don't know what the what you need to see for by now um you might not listen to this podcast regularly uh but yeah saints still have a chance to make the playoffs but you know we're gonna talk about this as if it's the final game until it's not right uh so so we'll get into that but yeah we're also gonna talk to Scott Kennedy. You can follow him on Twitter at Scout Kennedy. He does a lot of Senior Bowl stuff. He has a Falcons podcast. He's going to give us some insight into what's been happening to the Falcons since we last saw them because it's
0: gone badly. It's gone very badly. What's uh, interesting you know, too, he told us uh, his number one viewed video is about Trevor Penny.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we don't have any viewed videos of Trevor no, Penny. Exactly. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, so so that's Rape going to be shooting. something – We'll get into that. And then the final segment, we're going to talk about red zone stats because the red zone was obviously a major factor in this last Falcons game. So I want to talk about what's happened in the red zone since then and why some of it has worked. Ask Derek Carr about it. Uh so we'll get into that. And we'll pick some X factors as we always do. But yeah, as you as you mentioned there, Rashid Shahid, you know, is the only pro bowler on the Saints roster uh this year, which is disappointing and also kind of I think t- a telling of the state of the current roster in terms of like you go back four or five years, you're talking about double digits at the pro bowl. They could barely fit in the, in the, in the group photo. Right. Now Rashid's going to be wandering around there alone. Now they could still get some alternates obviously. Um, but you know, that's, you know, it's the 16th consecutive year the saints have had someone at the pro bowl, you know, so long that they were still playing a pro bowl game uh, back then. <laughs> um, now it's a flag football game and a bunch of stuff, which I think Rashid's going to shine in. Because <laughs> it's all about athleticism and just running around in shorts. And that's, you know, I don't think you're gonna find anyone better. But good for him. You know, the Saints, they find Pro Bowl return guys. They just do it. Deontay, Deontay Hardy, who was Harris at that point, Pro Bowler for as a return specialist. And I think the I think the, the they got it right this year because in a league where you don't return kicks anymore, like go back to that week 17 game and watch Jake Camarta just shank the ball out of bounds because he just did not want to kick to Rashid. Uh, he did it multiple times. And then late in the game, they finally kicked to him yeah, and he yeah. had a nice return. So good for him. You know, he's, he's very deserving.
0: I'm happy for him. You you know, we like to talk about snubs, obviously, a lot. I don't really think anyone deserved it on the offensive side of the ball. But, man, I, I was kind of disappointed to see Paulson Adibo get left off.
4: Yeah, I think Adibo will end up being an alternate. I think he will end up being there, you know, unless the Saints make the Super Bowl, and then he won't be able to, right? <laughs>
1: uh, man, you I'm got
4: that kidding. good stuff this morning. Yeah just kidding uh but yeah no i think adebo you know this is it ends up being a reputation thing at a certain point it ends up being a market thing at a certain point sauce gardener sure. is is not that good like i, I think adebo should have made it in over sauce gardener um but everyone loves sauce you know uh but no he's had he has had a pro bowl season regardless of whether it ends up being called he ends up being called a pro bowler this year yeah. you know mario is you know he got it last year so you know i guess he's happy now but you know, and I think every year DeMario should be in strong consideration. Thomas Morstead didn't make it, which is weird. You'd think he would have made it because uh, he got all those votes. But I don't I, I don't really understand how the Pro Bowl works anymore. Um, but either way, good on Rashid. You know, you're talking about a UDFA from last year. Didn't even get on the roster until week six. So that's
0: a pretty big honor for him. Golf claps for Shahid for sure. And um, they're going to need him to show up. Hopefully show up those Pro Bowl skills against the Falcons in the finale too. Yes.
4: And speaking of a guy who was not getting golf claps, um, we we're talking about GM Mickey Loomis. As you mentioned, we, we talked to Mickey this week. We filled in for Mike Haas on the Saints Hour. And, you know, I, I, got, I got a few responses that are, that are just like, well, why weren't you meaner? Why didn't you ask him? You know, like, I think people need to understand that program is is a little different than just sit down, interview with somebody. And it's also not our show. So, you know, we do have to be a little respectful of like, I don't want to say anything that Haas is going to have to answer for next week when he comes back. Right, this
0: isn't hard hitting news. It's called the Saints hour. Yes.
4: But, but I do think we, there was some interesting answers in that, in that interview. And one of them, you know, I tweeted a handful of them and the one that I knew when he said it was going to, was going <laughs> to go ape shit, right. It was people are going to go wild about it. You know, he talked about Derek Carr's season. He invoked the name of Drew Brees, the great Drew Brees. And, you know, it, it was it was something, but I do want to play that entire answer for you, um, so you get you get an understanding, and we'll talk about it. So uh, let's uh, let's do that right
0: now. Fans and media, we really don't know what sometimes players are dealing with, and to see Derek Carr go out there, the performance he had really had some nice throws, accurate, efficient, and even heard from Dennis Allen after the game talk about how that shoulder injury was something that might have been. Uh, something bothering him uh, that he's just able to work through, but didn't seem like it was an issue at all last game, obviously.
2: Look, I think overall Derek's done some really good things this season. And, and if you if you look at some of the areas, you know, his rating, his efficiency, there's a lot of really good things that, that we've done. There's some things that he hasn't done well. And, you know, how he feels each week. Obviously, he had a shoulder injury you know, early in the season, and that there's no question that bothered him. We didn't handle pressure very well earlier in the season. And I think, you know, in the last four or five games in particular, you know, our offensive line and our protection has been better. So and there's all these variables, all these elements that contribute to the quarterback play. And look, we all look at the quarterback and we look at the head coach, and that's where we want to point blame and oftentimes you give credit and yet there's just so much more to it than that but you know what you said is correct Derek has had had a great game against Tampa it was really efficient there were some still there still was some meat left on the bone you know there's still opportunities that were to be had that might maybe would have put that game even further out of reach and we've had a few things like that I think this season has been a tale of we've had quarters and halves and parts of games where you can see what we can be but it's hard to point to a lot of games and say from beginning to end, this is what we are. And that's not unusual. I mean, this is Derek's first year with us. And if, if we went back to 2006 and looked at uh, breeze's first season or two with us, it, you wouldn't say, wow, that guy's going to the hall of fame after season one or season two. So, you know, it, sometimes it takes a while for us to be familiar with him, for him to have a real grasp of the offense in terms of, of, um, being reactive instead of thinking and then making a play and uh, getting on the same page with, you know, our staff, our coaches, as well as our players.
4: Yeah. And I think that that point is interesting. And I did want to ask you about that because you're looking at, you know, year one of DA and Derek Carr together. And as you are evaluating it, how important is it to kind of take a step back and and avoid just, Trying to say, well, this is what it was in 2020 with, you know, year 15 of of Sean or whatever it was with Drew and Sean versus, you know, this is a new regime and you have to kind of look at them independently of like, okay, where are we really, how have we improved, what needs to be fixed versus getting into that game of, oh, well, this is what Drew and Sean did.
2: I would say that most of that process comes after the season. I don't like to make evaluations in season because, you know, you're dealing with the emotion of winning and losing each week and you're dealing with, the issues that come up on a on a daily basis to prepare for the next game but that'll that'll be a process we go through and i go through when the season's over I've, you know look i i certainly have a few thoughts and a few things that i i think we need to have a discussion about but that'll all come after the season's over and hopefully the season won't be over af, uh, after sunday
4: yeah and, and you know the fun the funny thing about that and we'll talk about the drew Brees comment uh at, at length here but the, my follow-up was I, I was trying to get him to kind of elaborate on the whole Drew Brees part of it all. <laughs> he did not take the he did not he did not take the rope and and uh, you know so we have to just talk about what he said there. Um, you know I tweeted that quote that the the part about you know year one with Drew in 2006 and whatever and uh, just for perspective that tweet you know it's it's obviously gotten a lot of reaction. I think uh, currently it has you know 128 quote tweets. And 10 retweets. <laughs> so this is, that's usually an indicator of how things are going in terms of in terms of their reaction. But, you know, I, I want to talk about the health thing, but we'll get into the Drew Brees part of it first. So the, the main part, the biggest part of the reaction is like, why would you ever want to compare Drew Brees in 2006 to Derek Carr in 2023? When you look back and you see Drew, like Drew Brees was the second in the MVP voting that year. Yeah um the saints went to the nfc championship that year it's like it's funny because it's an it's the we always talk about 2018 no one ever really talks about the 2006 nfc championship right it's like that was honestly one of the more impressive runs in terms of first year head coach first year quarterback and you know the way it went um so i understand i understand why people why people are reacting to that the way they are um what what, what was your kind of reaction when you kind of heard him say that
0: I yeah, I guess to me, it was just obviously him trying to bring up the fact of, you know, things don't always start out great, but maybe look where they end up. But yeah, when you try to put Drew Brees in the conversation, you're going to get killed, you know, trying to compare him with Derek Carr. I, I get that. Yeah, and the funny thing is like, you know, I
4: guess it's to play devil's advocate to some extent, you know, you have to, comp- like, he's the guy, right? Like the, you're trying to, who, are you, who else are you going to compare it to, right? So in the sense that, you don't really have an option of saying like, well, this is how the last one was. Like, what, are you going to go back to like Aaron Brooks or whatever? (laughs) Like, no, you're going to have to kind of, like that has to be part of the discussion. And I think more so when you're looking at it, I I think the, what you, what he should have said, you know, and is like, and I think what he was trying to say more so than saying, like, I expect Derek Carr to become a hall of famer, which is kind of what it sounds like. Um, It's like, okay, sure. Like 2006 went the way it did. But that still wasn't the full form of Drew Brees. Like you don't look at that season and say this was peak Drew Brees. You look at it and say, wow, he came in and right away he and Sean just clicked and and you got it. I think it's more like, you know, the the how you kind of perceived that season should be kind of the same way of like. Yes, like you the he, he defied expectations, but what were the expectations going into that season? Because they weren't going to the NFC championship. And if he sure. had come in and struggled, I don't think the team would have been like, no, we made a mistake, move on. And I think that's kind of I think it's more just the the reality around the offense. And and one of the way the reason I followed up the way I did is because I think that is part of what makes the Derek Carr era so frustrating is you were hoping that. He would a come in and do what Drew did in two thousand six, and and b you you you're looking at you know that run from twenty seventeen through twenty twenty and being like well why isn't this more like that? But I do think like you go back you you should you you can't really compare those two things. Um, but even even that said, I do think it was kind of a. You know what? <laughs> I had one person text me. I was like, maybe he needs to stop doing a radio show because <laughs> I, this is like the third or fourth time all I've done. Like I, I try to be fair. I'm just presenting the quotes. I don't even, I don't even opine on Twitter in terms of, right. you know, whether I agree with what he said, whatever, I just share the quotes. And this is the third or fourth time that all I've done is share a quote and it's gone bananas in terms of the reaction. Um And so, yeah, it's, it's funny, but, but I, I mean, I think I, 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 I understand where he was trying to go with that, but I do think it was a, it's, you gotta be careful when you're trying to, trying to sell people on, on the, the Drew, uh, the Drew Derek comparison to say the least.
0: I, I will say, and I, I told you this, uh, you know, off, off the podcast before I'm like, I'm not defending Derek Carr. I'm not making any excuses, but I will say this season has not been ideal for him but he's got a lot of factors with that. You have no run game and the offensive line has is, is been a mess. So I'm definitely anxious for year two of Derek, but you know, we've heard it from before from Mickey too. Like I can't worry about next year right now. There's still, we're halfway through this season.
4: <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and I think one of the reasons like I, I get called a car stand and, and it, it's not really that, you know, I think I've been pretty critical of Derek in a lot of instances. Yeah, It's just, I think that, you know, you're bringing a quarterback and it, It doesn't seem like it can't, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? Like you can look at it and be realistic about what the expectations should be and what happened. And, but I do think you should give the guy a fair shot. Um, And I'm not sure that's, that's happened in in a lot of the discourse and, you know, and, and we can go from there. I don't think he's been as terrible as some people would like to say he has been. And I don't think he has been as good as some of the, some of the apologists would say he has been. And I don't think he's been as good as you really want him to be um, for sure. going forward. But I do think in the last five games, you have seen him play much better. And, you know, obviously the Panthers game is kind of involved in that. So that that drags down the stats a little bit. But even with that game, you are talking about last five games. He's 109 of 148 passing, 73% completion percentage, 1,779 yards, which isn't a great number. But it also it does include that Panthers game where the passing yard was like 118. Right. So, you know, it's not, uh, you know, that kind of does drag it down a little bit. 11 touchdowns, three interceptions and a, and a fumble, which was the one that, you know, that the weird James Hurst uh, punched it out. And, um you know, it's funny, they ran a similar play and he turns the other way. And I wonder if they adjusted that somewhat because they were like, well, I can't let this happen again. But, you know, if you ask Dennis Allen and, and, and Mickey Loomis got to it there, they would point to the health and they would say, you know, he was battling through a shoulder injury. I think that affected him. I, I don't know how much truth there is to he would be playing better with if if he didn't have the shoulder injury but you know it's it's one of those things and you met you mentioned that we don't always know exactly what someone is going through and to derek's credit he's not going to use that as an excuse um he what he has been asked about it multiple times he was asked about it this wednesday when he did his uh when he did his his media availability and so this is uh this is what he said on that front
2: oh man ah maybe not without pain
4: okay like i know you guys were all dealing with stuff but
3: no i'm with you it's just um no matter how i answer that you know it would seem like an excuse for earlier or something you know it's just it's tough man uh, i will say i'm feeling better um you know you know usually at this we were just laughing a couple of us at, at this end of the year you're usually you know your body's going like this and i felt like the last couple of weeks my body's going like this yeah. and it makes you realize like or wonder how bad was it really you know and so I, I am feeling better uh, but we're also everyone's also doing the right thing more often you know and yeah. there's a lot that goes into that so uh, ever since that Green Bay game it's been a struggle I've, I've, I've been honest about that it's been a struggle for me physically but uh, the last I don't know the weeks but you know I, I have felt better and hopefully that continues uh, it's you know, we're going to need it,
4: especially against this guy. Yeah, so just, just an aside here, one funny take that I've seen on, on YouTube a lot is like, wow, he's so uncomfortable. You can tell because he's constantly swaying from side to side. Well, it's cold um, out. Well, so it is it is funny, but he does do that generally. Like, he, it drives me nuts because I look at these videos, and I'm like, can you just stand still? Like, you antsy, antsy man. But I do think it's funny because as we've gone later in the year, it seems to have gotten more pronounced. He's like, well, why is that? Well, the funny part is if you pan down, Dude's out there in shorts.
0: <laughs> and, I'm surprised and just, he's not rocking the sleeveless look, but I guess because it is so cold yeah. out.
4: He's, he's, he's evolved to the point that he, he puts a jacket on, but he still goes out there in shorts, and it's like, dude, it's like 40 degrees outside. <laughs> Put pants on. Uh, but it is funny because it does seem like he's getting more and more like this as the season has gone on. And I think it's because he's cold, but I do think that's funny. It's like just an example of, you know, you're only getting part of the picture. You're not getting the whole picture. Cause if you, if you got the whole picture, you would see a guy standing out in 40 degrees in shorts. And it's like, well, yeah, you're stop doing that dummy. Um, But anyway, you know, and and I just think, you know, and as you look at it and you see, okay, This team has gotten, the offense has seemed to be more productive um, as the season has gone on. Whether you attribute that to health, you attribute that to some changes, some schematic changes, some improvements on the offensive line in terms of the scheme and the plan. Um, I think if you had been getting the Derek Carr of the last five games more consistently um, over the first half of the season, some of this discourse might be different. Um, But at the same time, I wonder if it would be the same, you know, Cause I think a lot of people just quit on Derek Carr after, after the first month of the season. And it, you know, it's, it's funny cause it's just like, you can do that. And am no one's going to stop you from doing that. But uh, I mean, you're going to have a really miserable next season. If you've already decided that this is, this is a mess and it's, there's it's irredeemable. Um, but Hey, you know, it is what it is. I just kind of see it as, you know, this is going to be a game that I, I think informs of a lot of, of your, of your opinions on how this season goes. If he goes out there and, and balls out against the Falcons and you go into the season with a lot of confidence, the, the off season with a lot of confidence or a playoff berth, Right. I think that that could change some of the narratives. Um, but at the same time, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Uh, either way. I do think that the Mickey comment is interesting. The health stuff is
0: interesting, but there's I but again, interesting, like Derek brought up the, that green Bay game afterwards that next week against Tampa. I felt like the saints did a disservice putting Derek in that game.
4: Yeah, and that's something that I will, uh, you know, I'll critique DA about, but I also will critique Derek because at a certain point, you're right. too proud. You have to say, I can't do it. Yeah, and, and if the health was a factor, then, like, that's not an excuse. That's that's just an indictment on your decision-making in terms of, you know, are you giving your team the best chance to win by going out there and playing hurt? Because right. being too proud to miss a game isn't helpful. You know, and, and, and I think that week four game, more so than that, the concussion week – you know, I don't I don't see that as a major factor, but it was the shoulder injury right. that, you know, a you was bad to begin with. And then it got you. You aggravated it again against the Lions and you continued to just say, well, I'm playing through and I'm not using it as an excuse. But if that's what's causing the offense to, to bog down and it's, it's causing you to play below the level that you think is 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 necessary to win at, that's on that's on you. Right. Like that's you can't go any further than that and i'm glad to hear he's feeling better now and you know it, it is what it is but you know let's going forward let, let's hit on one other quote from mickey that you know I, I think you know if you go back this time last year everyone was hating on tyron matthew right maybe not this time maybe earlier in the season remember yeah, everyone sure right. was just murdering tyron Matthew. Washed, right yeah and i mean I, I always i thought that was weird at the time and I, like i don't think you hear that as much anymore right you I think people have come around to the idea that it's like yeah okay this is 32 year old tire matthew or whatever he is what is his age I'm not even sure but you're still getting a very very productive player um and you know I asked Mickey about building the roster and that sort of thing and this is what uh this is what he had to say on that One of the things after the game that that I thought was interesting, Tyron said that he was asked to kind of stand up on Saturday and and kind of rally the troops, if you will. The DBs really responded, he said, and in the game, I think you saw that play out. And so my my question is, as you're building a roster, right, how important is it to not only have youth, you want to have young guys, you want to have guys that are developing, but you also need the Tyron Matthews of the world, the Demario Davises, guys that have been there. Because I think at the end of a season, it's almost always the teams that have those kind of core leaders that seem to be playing their best football at the end of the year so i mean how important do you kind of view that veteran leadership as you're as you're building uh, these rosters every year
2: yeah I, i think it's huge i do i think that each year you know we end up with a super bowl winner right and i would say in the last you know 40 years that very seldom is the super bowl winner the team that has the best roster it's the best team and you have the best team when you have great player leadership. And we have guys that, that uh, recognize veteran players that recognize what's important and can keep their team on that path, keep them focused and on that path, doing the right things when no one's looking, uh, preparing the right way each week. And it's just critical. I know I know that in the best teams that we've had over the years, we had great veteran leadership. You know, in that, that 06 to 2012 run, it was Breeze and it was Vilma and Will Smith and Malcolm Jenkins and, and, you know, a number of guys that I'm not even naming, Jabari Greer comes to mind. So we just had guys that that understood what the goal was, what the focus is, and how to keep our team and their position group in line and, and focus to that goal.
4: You know, and I, I think that's important to, to just kind of realize is because I think every year it's really tempting to be like, wow, well, just go young. You know, you're bringing a bunch of young guys, let them play, let them develop. But you know, you're going to look at this roster and you're going to say, well, why did they build it this way? Why did, why did they put so much emphasis on bringing in a guy like Tyron Matthew on keeping a guy like Demario Davis in, in such a big role in a cam Jordan even, you know? And, and I think you look at it and you say, you know, the, you had some luxuries with drew in terms of, the entrenched leadership that was just understood with Drew for so long that you, you probably could have gotten younger, right? You saw the offense be a lot of lesser known players. You didn't go with veterans as often at the, at the wide receiver spots at the tight end. At a, it, and, you know, I think that now that you've moved on from Drew, that becomes a, a much more difficult equation to kind of find the the, the, the result that is that you need. Right. And, and that's why, you know, I think it's, It's a much more complicated thing than just saying, well, we want to fix the salary cap. So you're going to move on from veteran A, veteran B, and go to these young players. Because, you know, I think having that veteran leadership next to a young player that you expect to be, to be, uh, develop into a pro bowler, or you know, like an elite player down the line, or even just a quality starter, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's undervalued and a guy like Tyron, that's one of the reasons that. I looked at him last year and I'm like, I think you're overreacting to what you expected out of Tyron versus what you're getting out of Tyron, because what you're not seeing is everything behind the scenes and, and keeping this team all kind of rowing in the right direction. And, you know, like, like this is t- like that week 17 game, right? I, th- I think it'd be easy to look at and say, well, this is a good team that played well. But I also think you look at it and you say like, this is a, that, that is a game where the leadership on the roster helped keep everything kind of glued, right? And keep everyone pointed in the right direction. And that's why you saw the result you did. Um, So I just thought that was was interesting. And I think it's a point that should be remembered as you go forward. And you're trying to figure out if you're trying to guess some of the decision making that goes on, right? If you're trying to assume you know what they're going to do, remember that that leadership is a huge part of it.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, that obviously, some of the fans last year, you're hearing getting loud about, you know, Tyron Matthew in in this defense. And it just it blew my mind, too, just because how long, you know, people were clamoring for LSU players and they finally, you know, bring one in. And now it's like, oh, of course, well, he's washed up now. Why do we even have him? I, I, I agree, though, too. I think that what Tyron brings to the locker room, immense for this team, uh, every guy on that defensive squad. Uh, Looks for uh, up to him, young and old, because of what he's accomplished and, and yeah, the, way that, he's, the way he's able to speak and address the guys too.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that, like I said, it's important. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was that was a good answer. And you know, if you want, you want more from that interview. You know, you talked about Zach Bond, Juwan Johnson, Alanti Taylor, a lot of that stuff. I thought the the Zach Bond question and answer was interesting, but that's probably something we can get into uh, as we go forward here because it's going to be interesting to see a if they bring him back and b if he draws interest. Uh, based on what you've seen in terms of a team that he fits better, right? Because he's an outside linebacker on a three four, on a four. He's a three four outside linebacker play who's played for on a four three defense. Let's right. just be real. And a situational pass rusher is great to have, but how much can you afford to pay that guy, right? And what helps for Zach is that he is an elite, you know, a core special teamer, and so you probably would be willing to pay a little bit more for that guy because you can pull from the special teams budget. And the pass rush budget when you're trying to balance that uh, as the season goes on. But if I'm Zach, I'm like, okay, if I go somewhere else that that has a scheme that fits me better, I could be a more, not even the money. I I actually think it's more just if I'm a guy who's looking for an opportunity to be a three down linebacker or as an outside linebacker, you know, wouldn't a, you know, yeah. Like the Panthers even right. Like they run a three, four scheme or you need that guy on the outside who can be that rush. I don't know. But it's that's what it was, right? Like the Saints drafted Zach Bond with the vision of converting him to an off the ball linebacker. It did not go the way they intended, you know, it it just didn't, it never really materialized. And what you've been able to do this year is get him more involved in the pass rush. And my my criticism is that you didn't do that earlier, uh, because I think anyone who's been paying attention to what Zach Bond did in college and what his skill set is can tell you like that wasn't working, what you're trying to do wasn't working, and a Sam linebacker is not really the value that you're looking for out of a third-round draft pick. And like you saw, they they gave that job to Nephi Sewell, right? Like, who had played well, but it's like, that's kind of, you know, you don't need that premier player there. And so, you know, but I do think that as this kind of, the defense has kind of found a way to be more effective as the season has gone on. It has been in large part because Zach Bond has been a very big addition to that pass rush on third and, in, in third and long situations. So, yeah, but it, like, that's, if people
0: ask like, why did it take so long? It's because they were trying something that didn't work. Yeah. I'm curious to see what kind of market he, you know, might have. Uh, certainly teams that were looking at him uh, for the draft and uh, missed out on bond uh, might come sniffing around again, considering, I, I don't expect it to be a huge payday. Not, not even close to even like what a Caden Ellis got this off season from Atlanta.
4: No, no. But, but the question isn't necessarily how big is the payday? It's, how much how is it within the, the framework of what the Saints would be willing to pay a guy who is a yeah. special teamer in a situation of pass rusher? But he, but again, if he was only a special teamer, that would be one thing because you can get the kind of pass rush game out of him. Maybe that changes it. But all right, let's let's wrap up that segment. Again, if you want that full interview, it's on WWL.com. You can find out my Twitter account at Jeff underscore This is inside black and gold. We're gonna come back with Scott Kennedy. At Scout Kennedy on Twitter, you can also find him on YouTube at youtube.com/backslash Scott Kennedy. We're going to talk to him about the Falcons, why they suck, all that good stuff. I can assure you that Falcons fans are just as frustrated with their with their situation as Saints fans are, and uh, you know they're also calling for a head coach's head. And you know maybe the Saints can give them that reward that they so desperately would like, um, or at least seems like a lot of them. Would. But. Alright, this is gonna wrap up this segment. Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Underscore Noah. You can follow Steve Geller at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore Pod. Who that we will be right. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold, getting ready for Week 18, the grudge match. Saints 8-8, and Falcons 7-9, and just as everyone predicted all season long. And no, that's not what happened. In reality, these two fan bases are just spending every week getting madder and madder at the head coach, (laughs) at the quarterback, at whatever. And so we're going to get into it. The Falcons have a different quarterback this time, at least I assume they will, uh, than the last time the Saints faced them. We're going to get into that with Scott kennedy falcons podcaster but he gets into just about everything so make sure to go check out his youtube channel it's youtube.com backslash scott kennedy a lot of great senior bowl content on there which means half the saints roster is probably on there somewhere but let's get into it you know this this is a falcon squad and i think if if you lost track of the falcons after that week 12 game you would have assumed was like oh man these guys are in control of the division they look like they're heading the right track and the saints are going straight down into the muck while well, you look back and it's like, wow, they lost to the Panthers, they lost to the bears. What happened? You know, what's, what's going on with this team? Cause it's, you know, it's funny cause you look at it seven to nine they still have a chance to win the division, but you know, anytime you're looking at it and saying we can win the division with a losing record. Yay. It's kind of tough, right?
1: Well, it feels like very similar to the first time these two teams played yeah. where everybody's kind of going, okay, both of these teams are underachieving, Neither team's really going to be happy coming out of this with a win. How long is that going to last? It's like, okay, you win. Yeah, but we still suck. <laughs> and, and basically what, what kind of happens is the road happens to this team. You know, they've been pretty good at home, uh, but then you, you take them on the road and they're two and six, and it's not even a good two and six, like where you can start seeing, you know, if yeah. there's a good two and six, where you can start saying, okay, I see the progress in this team. I mean, like you said, you're talking about losing to the Panthers, your two wins, you won um, the Jets and the Buccaneers. Well, who doesn't win in Tampa in the division? I mean, come on, that's easy to do, right? No, I'm just teasing. But the Jets game was a travesty of a of a game in the in the bad weather up there. I think that one was nine to six. Uh, it set offensive football back ten years, <laughs> and it, it's just this team has absolutely zero consistency. So I would say some of the consistency would be they're okay at home. They're, I'm going to say relegation fodder for, you know, for soccer fans out there, but they're, they're, I'm a number one pick overall type of play on the road, including they, I mean, if you watch that Panthers game, you'd be like,
0: this is a three and 14 team. And you look at what, what, what Arthur Smith has done uh, with this squad. What is the feeling, I guess, from fans and just overall on his status going forward. And even uh, just curious about GM Terry Fontenot, since he's got a lot of new Orleans ties. Right. I think from a fan's point of view, you can't get
1: two people to agree on anything. I think it's almost unanimous. They, with, with Falcons fans, they want Arthur Smith gone, you know, and I was willing to preach patience, patience the last two years with the dead cap number, the way the, the roster was built. And I think he actually did a pretty good job getting seven wins in each of the last two seasons with a threadbare roster and $90 million in dead cap money. So you go into this season and you ask, can he do more than just get a scrappy bunch of one-year contract guys that have been cast off from the Titans and Bears to go and play competitive football and win seven games? Spend $100 million on the defensive side of the ball. You've got a lot of talent on offense. And the answer to that this year was no. No, you can't. You're staring in the face of a third consecutive 7-10 and season. Uh, There's lots of reasons we can get into for that from a personnel standpoint, too. Yeah. And, you know, the, the
4: personnel is kind of interesting, but I, I guess we could start with the quarterback as you know, I, I, Taylor Heineke, it's been just a revolving door between Desmond Ritter and and Taylor Heineke. It kind of feels like that Simpsons gift where he walks in, hangs up his coat, turns back around walks back out. Right. And, and, and so, you know, Desmond Ritter first, first question is the, is the Desmond Ritter experience done is, you know, obviously year two, it's not a good time when you get benched twice in the same season for the same guy, who no one is looking at and saying, well, that's the future, right? It's not like he's a, he's a a rookie you drafted where it's like, okay, he's going to develop. This is a guy who, you know, who he is. He's, he's Gardner Minshew light. Right. And yeah, but you, you've been going back to him. And so what, what should the saints expect in Taylor Heineke and, and, and kind of where are
1: they in this kind of QB carousel? If it was like it was last week, then if you put any kind of pressure on him, then you can expect nothing on the road. He was, awful against the bears last week. Just, just dreadful. When he played earlier, he moved the ball up and down the field fairly well. And and that's kind of what you expect. I've watched Taylor Heineke come into Atlanta, beat the, beat the Falcons as a gunslinger mentality. You know, when he was with the, the, the Washington football team commanders, Redskins, whoever you want to call them at the time, you know, you think of him as, okay, maybe he's a little loosey goosey with the ball a little bit, but he's going to take some shots and move. And then it might've I don't remember which game it was, but he had like an average depth of target at one point of like 0.7 yards on <laughs> on 20. It's like, dude, that was this Taylor Heineke because he's not as bad as Arthur Smith has made him look. And Arthur Smith is not as bad as Ritter and Heineke have made him look. So it was a combination of all of them has just been some awful offensive football. This team was. 15th in scoring last year. You know, that surprises a lot of people. You think 15th, really? Yeah, they they actually were. Well, now you've got three top 10 skill players uh, picked. Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. You've got arguably the best offensive lineman in football in Chris Lindstrom. I mean, that's going to sound crazy to people that don't know the Falcons, which is pretty much everybody. But Chris (laughs) Lindstrom has been really, really good. You've got a first round, second year contract guy, right tackle. You got PFF top five center at center, uh, top five guy at center, left guard. You spent a second round pick at left guard. Jake Matthews is Mr. Steady. And I got worse. I I put a a running back, a win now type of move with number eight, and they've gotten worse and not just by a little bit, a lot worse. Man, if there was an offensive coordinator on this team who wasn't the head coach, he'd be calling for his head. There There wouldn't be any question about it. This guy would be fired. So it's sometimes if some thousand says, well, if he gets his quarterback, I hear that too much because he has personnel control on this team too. Arthur Smith right. does him and Terry Fontenot work together. They had a chance to get their quarterback. They decided not to. They went with a tight end at number four. They've had chance. They've had three years and you decide to go in with Taylor Heineke and Desmond Ritter. That's on you. That is not an excuse.
0: Obviously the last meeting uh, against these two teams, man, the Atlanta Falcons sure looked like they were world beaters in the run game, Uh, just up and down the saints, no matter who was in even um, Desmond Ritter, I think had 30 some odd yards on the day. It was like 228 total rushing. Uh, I'm I'm guessing the plan coming into this matchup will try to be to run up and down the saints again. You'd think
1: (laughs) you'd think, but that never, you know, come out with against, against the bears and, and run a free, a flea flicker, you know, and it's so predictable it's and that's the problem because you've got Bijan Robinson who is a talent and he's going to finish with close to 1500 yards from scrimmage. So you can't say he's been, there's that narrative out there that he's been misused. Well, he's, he's got, he's done pretty well. Uh, Tyler Algier is a beast. You've seen him a few times now and he's yeah. just, he's an animal and Cordero Patterson. You don't want to see him when your legs are tired. Problem is it has been so predictable. Okay. Bijan's on the game. They're running outside. Here comes Tyler. They're running inside. Here comes Cordell. They're running inside again. Bijan Robbins is out in a pass route. Well, they're going to throw it to him? because they don't throw the ball downfield. So it's been super predictable to try and watch this. And if you commit numbers to stop the running game, they haven't been able to beat you with passing the ball at all. So stop this team from running. And again, the identity of this team is what you saw against the Saints. That's what it's supposed to be. Did you know that the Falcons, if you look at the DVOA and those type of Efficiency numbers have the 28th rated rushing attack in the NFL. And this is your bread and butter, Arthur Smith. Man. <laughs> Dude, you're gone. You're, you gotta be gone.
4: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, and I talk about the giants a lot because I just know the giants in terms of, you know, what, and, and I, I just feel like this, this, this Falcons team is kind of in that arc. You know, you don't get the luxury of saying, well, we're building when you're taking a running back in the top 10. You don't do that unless you feel like you are going to win because running back careers. We've seen it. We've, we've seen this whole narrative of teams don't want to pay running backs once they get past the age of 26, 27. And so you're spending, you know, you only get so many years and Saquon Barkley, he's on the fringe of being out of his prime and the giants were never competitive. And that's why the pick didn't make sense. Then that's why the pick doesn't make sense now. And I, I feel like, you know, if, as you look at the Falcons from like a broader view, I think that has to be one of the bigger frustrations is like when you're uh, when you operate as a team that expects to win now and the Saints are in a similar boat. I just think they haven't they haven't made that running back pick that, you know, yeah, people would probably prefer that they were a little more aggressive in terms of how they go after scope position players. But That's another conversation entirely. But I just feel like that has to be very frustrating when it's like you keep, you know, you're a t- a top 10 tight end. Right. like I think wide receiver you can get on board with a little bit more because, you know, it's you need wide receivers in this league. But then you, you look around the NFL and it seems like all the first round tight ends are playing for teams that didn't draft them. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and so how has that kind of gone? Because I think more than anything else, that has to be, you know, and that shortens the leash of any head coach is you you don't see the plan of like, yeah,
1: we're we're building this. We're building this. It's like we're trying to win and you're failing. Well, like you said, it's a win-now move. You know, it drove me crazy in 2021 when the Falcons drafted Kyle Pitts and the national media start saying it's a win now move. Rudolph joking, not Rudolph, uh unicorn unicorn is the word. You got a 36-year-old quarterback <laughs> behind a non-existence offensive line and a defense <laughs> that can't stop anything. And it's a win-now move. Are you joking? Instead, it's played out exactly like I've talked about. You're going into year four of his of his uh rookie deal and you're not any farther ahead, and you don't know who the hell your quarterback is. That's a wasted pick. It's absolutely a wasted pick, and and Kyle Pitts is starting to catch some flack for it. But you go back to Bijan. Yeah, that's a win-now move, and it made it worse because you know who went right after that? University of Georgia defensive tackle Phenom Jalen Carter. Mm -hmm. There's more Georgia fans in this state of Georgia (laughs) than there are Atlanta Falcons fans. Georgia fans are pissed, and there's some crossover there, and if you are a Georgia fan, And an Atlanta Falcons fan, you're ready to do away with the whole administration right there. We're
0: like, okay, we're going to be we're going to be Philadelphia Eagles fans. Right. Uh, Looking at the defensive side of the Falcons, I think that's been one of their brighter spots this year. How would you rate uh, defensive coordinator uh, Ryan Nielsen year one? I know they've been they'd like more takeaways, obviously, on the year. But overall, they've been holding defenses, uh, offenses pretty well.
1: Uh, we kind of passed over when you got me talking about the Arthur Smith and the draft and, and you asked about Terry Fontenot. I didn't say a whole lot there. Uh, so this is a good chance to bring that back. Terry Fontenot gets more of a pass because for other than the quarterback position, they've done pretty well in team building. If you look at, is this team, if I'm the general manager, is this team better off after three years than they were when you took over? The answer is by far. Yes. The roster is right. in good shape. The problem is. The results on the field. Okay, well, that goes into that's why your coach is going to be in trouble. A couple of former Saints, when you talk about Ryan Nielsen, has done a very good job. And if if they could do away with Arthur Smith, I expect him to actually get a head coaching interview with the Falcons. I was ready to leave Arthur Smith in Arizona when they lost to the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray's first start in over a year and make Ryan Nielsen the interim head coach just to see what happens. And if he goes on a run, help give him the job. But they hit on their free agents. They spent a lot of money on the defensive side of the ball. David Onyamada, former Saint, has been good. Caden Ellis, who they haven't they really didn't let him do what they got him for, which is a pressure of the passer because they lost their other inside linebacker within the first two, three weeks of the season. And Caden Ellis had to play more you know more traditional linebacker as opposed to, you know, edge and, and coming off as a pass rusher but he's been really good. He's starting to make plays behind the line of scrimmage, sideline to sideline. Jesse Bates made his first pro ball, big money, another big money guy. And he has a pretty good chance to go first team all pro this year. He's got some of those highlight plays to go with it that you need the big money contract, the stats and the, and the, the splash plays that you need. If you're playing for a team like the Falcons to make all pro uh, Collas Campbell has been very good. Another guy who they brought in, Bud Dupree has done a job for cheap. So, The defense has been really good. They just—they really are still missing that number one pass rusher. They're—they're missing that guy to come in and and put pressure on. And that said, they still almost doubled their sacks from last year.
4: (laughs) Yeah, you you kind of alluded to this. And what when you look at the Falcons' season, it's you know the funny thing is the Saints' season is very distinct in that they've lost to the good teams, but they've beaten the bad teams. They've beaten the non-playoff teams. You look at the Falcons. And they have losses to the Commanders, the Titans, the Cardinals, the Panthers, the, the Bears even they are already eliminated. Like a bulk of their losses have come to teams that weren't really in contention for the postseason. And I, I'm sure that had to be as frustrating as anything. But I guess so. my question is, when things have gone right, how have they won games? And when things have gone wrong, how have they lost games? And what team do you expect to see
1: on Sunday at the Superdome? It's pretty easy. And again, look at those games. Other than the commanders, all those other games were on the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when they've gone right, they've run the ball and won the turnover battle. When they've gone wrong, guess what? It's been the other way around. They couldn't run the ball, and they've lost a turnover battle. So a lot of those early ones, why isn't Desmond Ritter in there? Desmond Ritter's been a turnover machine. Mm -hmm. So he gets a four-game sample size last year, and he goes two and two, didn't turn the ball over once. Like, okay, that's really all this team needs is just don't screw it up the schedule you know because your schedule is just as bad the schedule is atrocious this might be the easiest falcon schedule in the history of the falcon scheduling and i don't say that <laughs> to be hyperbolic with hyperbole it's true
0: yeah we've we heard that the
1: we've, same thing with the same bobby Aber right. has said that same, that same sentence at least two dozen times this i year. mean you look it's like okay we're gonna play this team and, and i think their first four games the com- the, the starters had to combine like it was Jared Goff. Then the other three guys had one start among them. Yep. You know, it might've been two, because I think the commanders were in there too. It was, it was their fourth game. So it may have been one start. It was Bryce Young to start. Then it was uh, Jordan Love, which they, to be fair, those were both at home and they won those two games. But then the commanders and Sam Howell, and it's just, but they go on the road and they start turning the ball over and they they can't run the ball. So if that happens, and who do I expect to see? I expect to see the road team that I've seen from the Atlanta Falcons. And if the New Orleans Saints show up with any kind of passion at all, they should be able to handle this team. Uh, I mean, the the, the Saints have played pretty good defense most of the year. The Falcons ran through them that day. The Falcons, when they're on, are capable of run-throughing anybody. That's what's so frustrating. I have a feeling Saints fans felt that way watching that game against the Buccaneers last week. They're like, yes this is what we want to see and speak, you know, where'd that pass rush come from? I mean, y'all okay. were all, y'all were in the backfield, the whole game against, against Baker Mayfield. And it seems like that's been missing a lot of the season. Correct.
4: <laughs> that assessment, that assessment is correct. Uh, Steve, you have anything else?
0: Uh, no, just um uh, you, you mentioned is like, I wondering what to expect from this Falcon squad, obviously, like you said, going into this matchup, I know the fan base, do we do we expect a lot to be traveling to New Orleans for this game? I don't really think so. They don't even show up in the in the uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium over there. No, the uh, the I can get into that
1: too. And you know, when you go PSLs in Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta sports fan will not be gouged. And you look, you the Arthur Blank. When Arthur Blank first came in, he made all the cheap seats cheap. Yeah, and they've been sold out. They sold out every every since he came in. But when they went into the bends, they upped the prices big time. Wow. Okay. So the whole lower bowl is all corporate seating. Basically, they price wow. the fans out of there. So when you're not playing very well, the the people with the company tickets aren't showing up. Right. So the whole lower bowl is empty. So that's a mistake. You the Atlanta sports and we got other things to do. You're not going to we're not going to pay five hundred dollars for a freaking ticket to go watch the Falcons. <laughs> Sorry. Especially not this Falcons. Uh, yeah, <laughs> team. so that's not that's not going to happen when you're playing like this. So will they travel? No, you know, most Falcons fans in the moment, you will say, no, I don't want to lose to the Saints. I don't want to lose the Saints. Your heart takes over. and You say, OK, I want to win this game. If they are to lose this game and it is the final kick to get Arthur Smith out, you'll get thank you notes. You'll get on their <laughs> Christmas lists. Where Falcons fans will send you a note and say, Thank you, New Orleans Saints. We don't like you, but by God, we had to get this guy out of here. If you're smart, you'll let us win this game and keep this bozo here for another year.
4: It's so funny going around the NFC South and hearing like a the lot exact of the same. same thing yeah. about every head coach. It feels like everyone's like, ah oh, man, I want to hear it. I want the Panthers to blow out the Bucks because I want Todd Bowles fired. Frank Reich already is out of there. Uh, I, I've heard from Saints fans who are like, "Man, I'm actually mad that the Saints are are gonna ruin their draft pick, and it makes it so you you can't, you can't really fire your coach if you finish nine and eight, and you're two. It's it's just not a situation, and obviously you're here saying the same thing about it. It's just so funny, and everyone in the NFC South is in the same boat. Um, I almost think that helps protect the coaches in the sense of it when you don't want to be looking for a head coach in a season where everyone's looking for a head coach."
1: But I think, I think nine and eight and you're probably safe. You're like, okay, we're yeah. showing some of the right direction. You don't feel that way because, again, you look at the schedule. Tampa Bay actually played some decent ball this year mm-hmm. until, you know, the Saints. I think so. I think Bulls will be safe. But I think the last time the Falcons and Saints played, I said the entire NFC South could have new coaches. All of them. I'm like, if you back your way into a division title at eight and nine and then get blown out in the first round of the playoffs, yeah. do, do you, is that headed in the right direction to you? Or is that just circumstance where if you were any good at all, you could have gone 13 and four and then gotten blown out in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, you could have a 13 and four team and still not be any good with this schedule. It's ridiculous.
4: (laughs) That's called the Vikings in 2022. Uh, But all right, that's going to wrap it up here. Thanks so much. Scott Kennedy Falcons podcast. You can check him out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Scott Kennedy. And this is confusing, but you can also find him on Twitter at Scout Kennedy. Uh, He just has a lot of fun with that name. He's just changing letters and and doing it all, I
2: I
1: worked for Scout.com for 15 years, so it (laughs) it made sense. I was director of scouting at Scout.com for 15 years, and people would introduce me on the radio. So I'd like to introduce uh, Scout. Oh, Scott. uh, Dude, just, it works. you'll find it. I'm not hard to find.
4: (laughs) Gotcha. Well, Scott, thanks so much. Obviously, Saints-Falcons this weekend is going to be it's going to be interesting, whether it's firing coaches, winning the division, winning and losing anyway. We'll see. But thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Scott. Thanks again to Scott Kennedy for coming on. Yeah, I, I, again, like I said, I just think it's hilarious that, you know, you go around the NFC South and every single fan base is like in flames and like, man, this couldn't be worse. And then you go over there and they're like, man, this couldn't be worse. And they go over there and like, man, this couldn't be worse. And... You you know you get to the bucks and they're like some of them are like yeah this could this this could have been worse but it still sucks um and uh, you know what's going to be funny and this is has nothing to do with falcons is when if, if the bucks do lose to the panthers do you fire talk bowls and cut the big field like uh the guy all this all this positive momentum but you know that's a i i I want to see it happen just cuz I want to I, I like to watch things burn um Chaos. and that would be hilarious you know like the joker walking away from the hospital kind of like but yeah, the Saints, Saints, Falcons. It's you know I called last week a mid off. This is also a mid off. The entire NFC South has been a mid off all season, and uh, yeah, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be something.
0: Yeah, and the, the one thing though, obviously, I think Saints fans will be united on the front of they don't want to lose to freaking Atlanta, even with maybe the the notion of maybe there's still a chance Dennis Allen could get fired. I still think, man, I'd rather beat the Dirty Birds. I don't know.
4: Yeah, I mean, the the I, I don't think that Dennis Allen is getting fired regardless right. of what happens this week. I think, you know, if you'd lost both of these games, then, then that conversation might be different. But the performance last week alone is going to be enough, I think, when you get to the end of the season. And But obviously, it's not going to – you know, what you're, whatever leash you're going to give him next year is going to be affected by this game. And, you know, the, the argument is like, oh, if you lose, you could protect a better draft pick. Come and on, if you right? win, you know – even if you you might still not make the playoffs and you would get a worse pick and that's fair but no one on the team is looking at it that way so you know it's it's all theoretical um but yeah i i i think it's a, you you shouldn't go into that building rooting for a loss i mean i think that should be a rule within saints fans is like i don't care what the records are i don't care what you benefit you would get you do not want to lose to
0: the falcons you don't you just don't, you hey, don't want to get swept you know by the Falcons. Hey, you want the Falcons to win the game? Please stay home. I don't want you in the dome.
4: Yeah. I mean, you should never, I don't care what the situation is. You should never be rooting for the Falcons to win a game. Amen that's, to that. It's just, you know, that's, that's day one stuff. But all right, let's wrap up this segment. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about red zone stats. You know, we've gotten into it, but because this is the game, this is the like the week 12 game was the, was the ultimate red zone failure game. I think it's worth diving back into what's happened since then. I talked to Derek Carr about it. We heard from Dennis Allen. He gave some insight. So we're going to get into that, and we're going to pick some X factors heading into week 18. This is potentially the last time we will pick X factors, so we'll be very sentimental about it. Uh, not really. Uh, but, but, yeah, <laughs> this is Inside Black Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. Good times have been had by all. We will be right back. On inside black and gold. One more segment here. We're going to get into you know, some pat some, some red zone stats, some some thoughts on, you know, what's changed since the Saints and Falcons met up last time. Obviously, we talked about the quarterback with Scott, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Saints handle Taylor Heineke. The good news is they have some, you know, you're going to scout him this year. They've also played him, right? Back in 2021, the Saints faced the Commanders. Uh, they were the Washington football team at that point. And, uh, you know, they so they 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 have some. Familiarity with how he likes to play and how he would operate against this same scheme that the Saints are still running. Um, so, and I think the Saints were pretty pleased with how they how they uh, handled him that day. That was a funny game because if you recall, uh, so that was a Jameis Winston game. Um, I know Paulson Debo got an interception on the goal line in that game, but they also converted a hail mary to Marquez Callaway right before the half in that game. That was in Washington. But you know, one thing that yeah, you know, you, we're going to talk more about the the Week Twelve matchup. Um, and you know, the thing that happened in that game that I, you know, forced some changes, like the saints changed how they were operating based on how that week 12 game went. And it was because of the red zone. And that was a game. We talked it to death. Oh, for five in the red zone with two turnovers. You had to, you attempted six field goals. You made five of them and you were still in the game. And like you, that's one of the games you look at and be like, man, the Falcons really took it to the saints at the end. It was like, yeah, but if you had converted on even one of those red zone trips, right. that would have been a different game. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's something that we, we're going to talk a bit more about here. But, yeah, what, what, what are you kind of looking at from
0: that game? Uh, yeah, it was just uh, abysmal to see them gashing the Saints for yardage uh, in the run game especially. Uh, it didn't matter if it was Bijan, Algier, Patterson, and even Ritter at the time. I, like I, I had mentioned in, with Scott uh, when we talked to him, he didn't have a ton of yardage, but with 30 some odd yards and they always seem to be those untimely runs from the quarterback that ends up picking up a, a third and long or something and you convert the first down. But just overall, you know, I just remember watching that game and thinking how, why and, and, and how is this team consistently getting gashed on the ground?
4: Well, I mean, the Falcons do that. That's part of their that's that's their deal, right? Like, it
0: hasn't worked except it seemed to to work to a to a T that game, obviously.
4: Well, I mean, I think they've run for a lot of yards all season long. It just hasn't always been as effective in <laughs> terms of winning games. But that's the thing about the Falcons; they're going to stick to the run. They're not right. going to abandon it ever. You know, one thing that uh, the the thing that I'm afraid of happening in this game is you know you think you're going to get Taylor Heineke to start, and so what happens if like? three drives go by and, you know, he throws an interception or the Saints defense is shutting him down. And then they just like switch to Desmond Ritter mid game and the Saints aren't prepared for that. And then he just runs wild. Like that's what I'm worried is going to happen in this game. Um, <laughs> Cause I actually, you know, like just the, the matchup of Desmond Ritter against the Saints. And I think if, if the Falcons weren't just, uh, if, if they, if they hadn't already benched Desmond and brought him back and benched him, benched him again, I would think this would be a game that you go back to Desmond because I think he provides a, a matchup against the saints defense that Taylor does not. Right. And you know it. Yeah. And so I worry that, you know, like, yeah, like he's going to come in mid game and he's going to run wild and be like, ah, again, it happened again, but you know, we'll, we'll have to see. And, uh hopefully you know uh hopefully either way the saints defense can can do what they did because they they've held up against the run pretty well over the last you know other than the, the rams game like you saw another the games they have struggled in. it's been the games that they not only have not stopped the run but they've been gashed on first and second down and it sets up easy three third down opportunities and sets up situations where you can't get a guy like zach bond on the field in like third and three because it's just he's not a he's not a run downs guy um And so, but but getting back to what we came in talking about, right? So, 0 for five in the red zone. One thing that you know I find interesting, and and Dennis Allen talked about this on the coaches show this week, is it's not just that they've been more effective in the red zone; it's that they have changed up their approach a bit in terms of how they're operating and trying to get down closer, as opposed to you know settling for shots um, from. From the from the high red zone, right from the 15, from the 18, um, and this is I, I asked Derek Carr about that uh, on Wednesday, and uh, this is what this is what he had to say. Hey, Ben mentioned you know one of the things they noticed. The I was like, okay, getting from the 25 to the 10 was a big factor in being more efficient. Is that something like a coaching point that you've had to kind of look at and say, okay, I can adjust some of the things that I'm doing to you know because it seems like I think 11 of the last 13 they all come inside the 10 yard line and obviously that's worked out for
3: you. Yeah, it has worked out. <clears throat> and I think, honestly, I really believe, man, the biggest thing that was that, that we've gotten better at is we're not hurting ourselves with penalties. You know, when we would get in that fringe area and then you get whatever whatever the penalty is. You know, we get a intentional grounding, a holding, an offensive, whatever. Uh, that's really hard to make up those yards as you get tighter, you know. And so uh, I think that's been an improvement for us. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, the closer you get, the easier it is it's going to be percentage-wise to score in our league. And so, you know, you try your best in decision-making and all those things that you know, way out here. You don't always have to throw it in. You like to throw them in from there. But you can also, you know, take a route that gets you inside the 10 and, and play keep playing the game. So um, there's a lot of that definitely from depending on the play and the situation that comes on you know my plate for sure.
4: Yeah, the funny thing about that clip, if you watched it is he's like pointing and you're like, what the hell are you pointing at? Well, the way they do interviews at the facility, the practice field is right there. So he's actually pointing at the yardages, but it looks weird when you don't have the context of that, you know? So, yeah. So the the funny thing to me, and I always find this odd is like we value a 19 yard touchdown more than we value a 21 yard touchdown. Why? I don't know. But it's just that's technically the red zone. So you get it. Um, The Saints are 11 of their last 13 in terms of touchdowns in the red zone, it's like 85%. That's not, that's, uh, I imagine that's number one in the NFL. I, I'm not even going to bother checking. Their red zone per TD percentage on the season is up to about 58%. So they were in 28th in the league at a certain point, I think after week 12. They've now climbed up to like 18th, 13th, 17th, right? So, you know, they were that bad in the beginning of the season that even with this run, they're still only a little over 50%, right? But again, like I like I mentioned in that clip, 11 of those 11 touchdowns have come inside the 10-yard line the two the two drives that ended in a field goal attempt uh they the final play was run from the the 10 or the 11 right and so it's different he also mentioned the penalties and yes there hasn't been a single penalty on any of those drives to make things more difficult and yes that is a that is a factor but you know what DA said this week is you know they kind of pinpointed this issue of like in, when you get inside the twenty-five, the, the 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 goal doesn't have to be to score a touchdown. The goal should be get closer, make life easier on yourself, and that's really what they've done, you know. And the funny thing is, again, like I said, if you push it out to the twenty-five, so they're eleven of thirteen in the red zone, but they're also thirteen of sixteen inside the twenty-five because you've had a twenty-something-yard touchdown to Juwan Johnson, a twenty-something-yard touchdown to Taysom Hill uh, on similar plays. Um, and I just think I, I do think it's it's kind of interesting when you when you break that that all down. But yeah, I I, I just think when you look at how things went in that game compared to how you how, how things look in this game, I do think that that's been a huge factor in why this offense has seemed more efficient. And I am curious as you get into this game how how you operate in that regard and and how you kind of change things up. But I think that is something that as I look at like okay, what why will this game go differently? Than that game
0: did. I just think you're seeing an approach uh, that's gen- generally worked. No, you, you're bringing the stuff from last game, last game too, and I'm, I'm definitely afraid to see what happens uh, first time this. You know, S- Saints may go down into the red zone area. God forbid they go 0 for one, and you know those boo birds are going to be coming out right away.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it is curious. It is curious because like they've only failed on two red zone trips, but the one that happened at home. It <laughs> was the first drive against the Panthers and we did hear boos and Blake Griffey missed that field goal attempt. That was one of, that was that very short field goal attempt, right? Drives another dagger into it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, it, it's you, all you can ask a team to do is, is improve. Right. And look at the things that didn't work and get better. You know, right. it's like it, 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 you can't just cut the roster. You can't change the entire scheme every week. All you can do is look at the things that did not go right and fix them. And so when you see a team do that, you know, in one of the, this is a major fault. This was one, I had a podcast where I went off on, you know, why, like they needed to change things up. They needed to adjust. They needed to look this in the face and admit what it is, which is struggling in the red zone and your quarterback is one of the worst red zone quarterbacks in the league. And so, you know, I, I, if you're looking for positives, you can look at that and say, that is a positive, that was a positive development. You would have loved for it to not take 13 weeks. But you got there, and so you know. I kind of, I kind of look at that. And in, in a game where you, you don't know what you're going to get from the run game because Alvin's hurt and you know probably won't play, um, that that efficiency is going to be going to be on full display, and you gotta, you're going to have to do it again. Um, but that's that's kind of that's that's all I have to say on on that subject.
0: Yeah, I'm interested. You mentioned obviously with Kamara being banged up, that that hurts this offense a lot. Obviously, he is such a key focal point and means so much, even though obviously the touchdowns might not be there once again this season, but man, Oh man, you, you rely on Alvin, obviously the running and, and receiving game.
4: Yeah. No, what, what I will say, so we're going to get a big dose of Jamal this week. I assume Kendra Miller told me he's going to play, uh, even if he's still, he's still going to have to grit through that injury to some extent, but he's going to play. Um, and uh, yeah, we did. We, we did hear from Jamal in the locker room this week. So let's 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 listen to that real quick.
3: You need to be a
5: physical back, physical back, because you're not the biggest dude in the world. But what does it take to be a physical back? Just mindset, mindset, um, willingness to go in there, put your body on the line, and just don't be afraid. You know what I mean? So you just got to go in there with just uh, a fearless mindset and just know your abilities. You know, is that kind of you know, what has rubbed off on you with, with these teammates? Do they kind of expect that out of you? I mean, you know, when you get the ball, they kind of know what they're going to get to do is going to put his foot in the ground and, and get up in there. Yeah, that's, that's the type of person I am. <laughs> but, yeah, I try to do more. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about just being physical, letting the teammates know, you know, how I run. Just let them know I'm I'm not going to go in there <sighs> foot. I try to figure out a word. <laughs> <Light> foot, <it. laughs> But just go in there with all gas and just have fun in there while, while I'm doing it. So. It, it was fun, honestly. I actually had, I think it was one of the players, I don't know who it was, but he asked me, he was like, why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I be laughing down there. and so I guess he never seen me laughing before, but I was in there laughing. He was like, why are you laughing for? I said, to keep the pain away. <laughs> but no, nah, no, nah, it's just that fun. Like This game is a physical one. Your body's going to feel at the end of the game, but why not? why not just go 100% while you're in there? So,
1: Did you feel stronger
5: as it went? Yeah, yeah. I just felt uh, I'm just getting just used to it. The more touches I get, the more familiar I get with the line. And then it's just us just talking to each other, communicating, and just seeing, you know, I'm a different back than what AK is. So I just try to do my best to show them, you know, physicality is here. I see the blocks. I'm just trying to make sure I make my alignment right.
4: Yeah, and there's Jamal, right? Um, I and we could just kind of mold this into the X Factor segment because my yes. X Factor – is going to be not only Jamal and how he plays, it's going to be the approach you take with Jamal because it has to be different than the approach you'd come at it with, with Alvin, right? I think you're going to do more inside zone. You're going to, you're going to try to wear down that offensive or that defensive front a little bit more. You're going to run a lot of Taysom, right? I think you're going to get a lot of QB power. And, and I, but I think, you know, one thing that's been difficult for Jamal this year is he's a guy who I think relies on some, some semblance of like rhythm and yes. as, as he got more into that game last week, you can kind of yeah. just see the confidence growing and the physicality kind of comes with that. And I think he's just, it's not a complicated thing. He's just got to hit the hole and go. And you need to see him falling forward. I don't need to see these 20, 30 yard runs, but I do need to see more consistent four to five yard runs on early downs. What drives me nuts is when you, you, you get your mall in there. Cause like his game is supposed to be, you know, worst case, you're talking two, three yards. You can't be getting TFLs in the Jamal Williams run game, um, because you shouldn't be dancing. You should, I think, as you put it, light footing around. You should just be getting downhill and running behind your pads and and making life miserable on the Falcons' defenders. Who it's not a very, it's not an, an elite run front. You can run on that team. So to me, that's you know, it's not only a I need Jamal to play well, and I think, uh, you know, he's he's in a better position to do that. Now than he was early in the season, just because he, you know, there's a more understood plan, you know, the offensive line is playing a little better um, and he's, and he's hopefully back to, to, you know, full health. Right. I I also need to see the saints call a game that suits him. Yeah. You know, and that's been one of my criticisms is I don't know if there's been, you know, a lot of creativity in terms of playing to guys strengths in the, in the run game specifically. Um, outside of Alvin because you already know how to use Alvin. Hmm. Um, And they have thrown the ball to Alvin a lot. They have gotten Alvin the ball in in ways that, you know, were a little more creative than maybe you've seen the last couple years. Um, But that's that you're going to lose some of those pages of your playbook this week if he can't go. So how do you react to that? And I think that's kind of the X factor for me. If you can't run the ball, right? If you're you're just sitting back and having to throw it 40 times, I don't think you're going to win the game.
0: I'm right with you with Jamal Williams. That's why I was laughing when you played that clip. I was like, oh, he's it's a perfect segue into the X factors. Uh, We haven't seen enough from Jamal this year. I'm hoping that, yeah, if if Alvin does have to miss this game, they're ready to feed a a pretty healthy diet of, of carries to Jamal. And man, we saw Elante Taylor obviously get his first pick of this of his career last week. Maybe we can get Jamal his first touchdown as a saint this season finally in the finale and maybe we can you know flip that perception of him into uh helping be a falcon killer which can only help going into next year because i don't think jamal williams is going anywhere i don't know what you're talking about if you look at jamal
4: he's averaged nine touchdowns over the last two seasons (laughs) right right
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's how math works you can't argue with math No, you're right. There you go. You can, like we, we joked about earlier too. It's like, you can change those statistics any way you want to work in your favor.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Zero this year, 18 last year. That's a joke. Um, but yeah, so it would, you sure would be nice. Right. And, And again, like we talked about this, it's like, or I think I talked about this yesterday. I don't know if we talked about it, but you know the the frustrating thing is you brought Jamal in and the idea was like oh he's a short yardage monster like you're going to get in these situations where it's third and short and there's there's not going to be a question you're just going to put Jamal in there get the first down and keep it moving that hasn't been the case like you just haven't seen that even you know even in situations where it could be I think the the opening drive against the Vikings in the second half you had a chance to do that third and one and and you just got stoned uh, at the line it's like that's the whole point of it being here, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I hope maybe you can, maybe you can, because because that's a it's a good way, especially against a team that doesn't score quickly, right? A team that wants to control the time of possession is to do that to them. Is to extend drives. There's nothing more demoralizing for a defense than getting to third and third and one, fourth and one, and just feeling like there's no way you can get off the field on that down right? Like if you're, if you can't get them to third and three or longer, they're just going to like, that's the Eagles, right? Like when the Eagles are playing well, that's what they're doing is they're getting into third and short, fourth and short, and you know, you can't stop it. They're going to run that friggin' tush push. And they're just going to have Jalen Hurts just, just fucking spelunk his way through the line and get a first down. And like, it's like basically it's an automatic first down. If you get to third and one, you might as well just start the next set of downs because you're not stopping it. and, and that's how I was hoping this kind of Jamal Williams tenure yeah. would go, and so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this is the chance for you to kind of start doing that. Going over the defensive side, well, what what are you looking at? I mean, obviously you mentioned Alante Taylor, but what what are you what are you looking at in terms of this matchup?
0: Uh, this one, obviously, you know, from that first meeting, uh, first off the bat, you, you got to stop the run game. You know what Atlanta's going to do; that they're not going to change it. Who they are in this one, you know, it's going to be Bijan Algier Patterson uh, coming at you and. Man, that's a pretty lethal trio right there, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go into, I want to see the pass rush also show up like they did last week. I was really impressed on how they were able to, you know, throw Baker off his game, and it was like, holy crap, where where have these guys been all season? Uh, th- that, to me, really stood out in Tampa Bay, and hopefully they're able to get after heineke in this one and make him uncomfortable because we know for show that the falcons are definitely adept at turning the ball over
4: yeah i think handling the run is uh, handling the running backs in general and not just the run obviously you know you want you need to be able to tackle and and get (laughs) off the field and and not allow them to just run the ball down your throat but one of the things that that they the saints could not do in that game was cover bijan out of the backfield either like That game was you were you. I mean, you. I wouldn't say you were in control of that game, but that game was going at least defensively in a way that you could stomach until you (laughs) know that drive where they hit Bijan on the on the wheel and Demario was in trail and it was just a perfect throw from Desmond and you know there was he had he had another I think he had two touchdowns in that game if I if I recall correctly because there was another one where he just kind of knifed through the defense and Marcus May didn't do anything uh, and and he just kind of waltzed into the end zone. Oh, you're right.
0: Yeah. He had the receiving and a, a rushing.
4: Yeah. And, and that, th- those two plays, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, you can run the ball and they're going to run the ball. They're going to get rushing yards. It's not like you're going to stop them from running the ball, but it's those big plays, those chunk plays from the running backs that you can't allow to happen, you know, cause if they're going to run the ball 16 times, huh. you know, fine. I, I, I like my odds of, of eventually, you know, th- th- we're going to win on a block and they're going to, and you're going to get a TFL and you're going to put them behind the chains. And, but it's like if they can, if they're getting those 20, 30 yard chunk play runs, then that's what, that's what really breaks, breaks your defense down. And, um, and Bijan, it's like, he's that guy. Like he's, you, you, you know, it's funny. Cause you, you look at Saquon Barkley and you, what you did to him was, was really impressive. And so, you know, I, I compared, I think Bijan and Saquon are very similar and they even both have the ons on there, but yeah, I, I that's, that's kind of my X factor is you need a better plan. You need to avoid, you can't let them just isolate DeMario in coverage against Bijan at will. Uh, but you are undermanned at linebacker, right? You don't have Nephi Sewell anymore. So, how does that change things? Um, you know, I, I, I think maybe Monty Rice, maybe this is a good game to see the Monty Rice debut. You brought him in, you clearly like him, but he has not been active. But I don't, I, I hope that there is an alternative to. Forcing Zach Bond to play all these Sam snaps and limiting him in the pass rush. Like I, I don't want. I want to see them. You know, I don't. I don't really care if you want to put Zach at Sam, but I don't. That can't come at the expense of getting him involved in the pass rush when you have opportunities. So that's another thing: is how do you how do you replace Nephi? Because because Zach did play the Sam when Nephi went out, so like he doesn't know how to do that. So maybe that's the plan. Maybe you do put him in because those the base defense snaps are not are very different from the third and long like you're not you're never running base defense on third and long that's always dime or nickel so it just means that zach might be playing a much higher snap load than normal so how does he handle that but but i agree i I think just the way you handle the running backs in a lot of different ways on defense is going to be a big
0: factor in terms of whether you can get get the result you want this time around i was going to ask you too have you heard anything about the plan for peyton turner going into the finale (laughs) He's, he's practicing. I don't know,
4: but he hasn't been activated, right? He has not been activated and you're getting close to that window. I'd have to double check in terms of, you know, you know, maybe I I wouldn't be surprised if they do put him on the active roster and just have him ineligible just in case you get to the playoffs and maybe, but I, I don't expect him to play this week. Okay. Um, it's just like, this is a pretty high, high leverage game to bring someone back in, but that would be the same case in the playoffs. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see. He, he hasn't got a full practice in yet. He was limited. If, if, if he can get a full practice in to, uh, on Thursday or, or, you know, before, if he can get a full practice in before this game, maybe. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and waste any time, trying of figure out whether Peyton can make an impact because. I, I, I mean if he does it, great. It was
0: just one of those things. I was hoping to see him. Obviously, uh Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore are not going to be guys we see either in this finale. No, I don't expect any of them to play. Um Nephi's
4: out. Landon Young's not going to play. Um he could play if they get to the postseason. Um, but and I don't I don't anticipate Peyton Turner playing. I don't I don't think Alvin's gonna play. You know, when when Kendra tells me that he's sure he's playing this week, even though he's still hurt, to me, I read that as because you need another running back. Right, exactly. Right? Agreed. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe Alvin bucks bucks this and, and gets back and has some... Yeah, he's not going to be 100%. Um, but maybe you can, even if he's a decoy, I think is, there's value there. So maybe they can get him out there. But, you know, you, you, you saw what happened with Michael Thomas, right? Like, it, you don't... I, I don't like messing around with ankle injuries. And that's why a lot of people have been hard on Kendra for, for being out. Like, he's hurt. Like, that's, that's one thing that drives me nuts is trashing players in general, but particularly young players because they got hurt. It's like, yeah, they also would have liked to not get hurt. You know, (laughs) like no one wants to be hurt. Yeah, it's Um, tough
0: when you start, you know, the perception is, oh, he's milking the injury, doesn't want to get on the field. I don't like that either. Anyone who's ever
4: sprained their ankle should understand what's going on here. Like ankle injuries linger and then they linger and then they linger some more. And every time you, you think you're past it, you step on the sidewalk wrong and all of a sudden you're right back sure. where you are and, exactly. you know, and, and replace that sidewalk with, with a 300 pound lineman. Right. You know, it's, it's not as, you know, it's, it's frustrating. I'm frustrated. Cause I like Kendra. Sure. And I think you've seen flashes from him. They're not going to give up on him, but you know, it's, that's the frustrating thing. Um, and so, you know, he's going to be out there. I assume, you know, unless he has a setback or, you know, if Alvin does go, maybe that changes. Things for him, but I think you even if Alvin did go, you would need that third running back because you don't want to be caught in the same position with just Jamal and Adam Prentice. Um, but yeah,
0: yeah, and I know the team uh recently let go of John Trey Kirkland, so he's not coming up at all. Yeah, I mean, they could bring him back, but he's <laughs> a, he's, true, a wide right? receiver he's not going anywhere. He's a wide receiver.
4: The other options on the practice card are Jordan Mims and James, uh James Robinson. Um, oh so- man, I even forgot they had James Robinson. Wow. Yeah, so I think if if Alvin can't go and you do have Kendra active, you probably do elevate one of those guys. I don't know whether it would be Jordan or James, but you I think when you're you can't because you see a guy go out there and he's playing through an injury, you know, like the re-injury risk is obviously there. And so if he has right. to be cut down during the game, you want to have that extra running back. <laughs> um, it's it's a little different than going into a game with two healthy guys and losing one. Uh, So that's, that's my guess, but that's, that's all I have. Anything else you want to hit before we get out of here?
0: No, man. Just hoping to extend this season by miracle of miracles. I'll take it any way we can get in.
4: Yeah, this could be, this could be the last regular season pod. Think about that. It's kind of crazy, right? Right. Season is gone. Just like that football is ending. Yeah. Well, it's not ending, but it might be ending for the saints. Uh, Right. Just, just a reminder. If anyone is still kind of confused, it's very simple. The saints need to win. And to win the NFC South, they would also need the Panthers to beat the Bucks. If that doesn't happen, and the Saints do win, then they would need in the wild card matchups they would need the Packers to lose to the Bears and the Seahawks to lose to the Cardinals. They need both of those results. And if that happens, and the Saints win, they get in. The interesting thing, and Mike Triplett was talking about this, and it's if you're betting on one, the best odds you can get, and the one that feels like it's not that crazy is. The Falcons winning the NFC South, because they still can. And that would feel like so on brand for for this division anyway to have an eight and nine champion for two years in a row. And so like you can get like like six to one odds on the Falcons winning. And really it's like it's just it should be a pretty much a pick'em in my opinion between the Saints and the Falcons. And they both only need the Panthers to beat the to beat the Bucks. So, so like if you if you're looking for a good odds bet, I'm not telling you to bet against the Saints, but if you want to, that's where the that's where the odds advantage is because it's funny like the Saints really need the same thing. The Saints and the Falcons need the same thing. They each need to win, and they need the Bucks to lose. But right. the Saints are going off at three to one, and the Bucks are going off at six to one to win the NFC South. That's oh, awesome. and the thing we haven't talked about, the thing we haven't talked about is Baker Mayfield's dealing with a rib injury.
0: Um, <laughs> courtesy of Ty <Tyler> Matthew. <laughs> Oh, darn. <laughs> Poor guy. I, I know uh, he said he's obviously going to do everything in his oh, power to play. play. but He's going to uh, play. But... As we saw with, you know, Derek Carr playing through an injury, sometimes that didn't obviously affect your performance. And hopefully that is the case. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Baker's going to play. There is a zero percent
4: chance he doesn't play. Agreed. But, you know, if you are of the believers that the Derek Carr's injury has affected him, I I think it's especially rib injuries for a quarterback. You gotta rotate. Hopefully, Brian Burns lands on him a little hard. Don't don't say that. I don't (laughs) like that. Uh, That's you know. But um, yeah. Anyway, that's it. Then what? Kyle Trask performs some miracle, and you're like, what? Yeah, that would that would that would really twist the knife, as if the Panthers have like (laughs) a three-point lead. Kyle Trask comes in and leads this like epic comeback.
0: Right, I could just um, hear this, you know, like, cheers in the Super, all of a sudden, Baker Mayfield's been knocked out of the Buccaneers game, and the fans are like, ah, yeah. but meanwhile, Kyle Trask ends up going Cheering, off against
4: Carolina. Hearing injuries is never cool, but uh, yeah, yeah, and that's that's one other thing, is like, I honestly don't even want to watch the score for the panthers Bucks game, because I don't care what the score is, the Panthers could be up by 15, and I would not, like, it's like they're going to blow this, 100%. Like, I will not feel safe it, like, I don't even want to know because I will not feel safe until that, until that buzzer sounds. Right. <laughs> so, um, that is what it is. But all right, let's wrap this up. This is inside black and gold. The dog is, dog is interrupting for the second time. She says, take me out, brew. You've been recording for so long. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, but thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone who's followed along all season. If this is the last regular season podcast, we're not going away, but it will feel like a different thing. Uh, so we'll find out. If not, we'll be going right on this same recording schedule as we have been for at least one more week. So we'll have to we'll have to figure it out. But who dat? Go Saints! I'm Jeff Noak. He is Steve Geller. Be easy, y'all. NFC South champs. Here we come. That's it. Peace.